What an awesome way to begin this message. I couldn't think of a better song to, to start this message with. Uh, but before I go ahead and start, I want to pray. So let's pray together. Father God in heaven, uh, God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the, the message that we're about to hear. Um, God, I, may, I know for some people the words they're going to hear may uh, just be difficult and it may be challenging today. But God, I thank you that we get to hear these words. I pray that we can learn and grow from the message today. And God, just continue to be with us as we continue to worship your incredible name. It's in Jesus' name that I pray. Amen. As we begin today, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Colossians chapter 1, verse, and we're going to start in verse 12. And as you're doing that, I want to ask a question. And it's this. Why is, the mo- why is it that most Christ followers... Do not live that, that big life that Christ came to bring to each and every one of us. This, this abundant life that's supposed to be a life that, that no matter what's going on in our lives, no matter what's, what's happening all around us, where, where we're smiling and we're just, we're just filled with joy all the time. Why is it that most Christ followers don't live that big life? It, it doesn't mean that we don't have pain and, and suffering, and, and it doesn't mean we're not going to have difficulties or, or setbacks once in a while, but there's, there's something in us that's like drinking from a well that never runs dry. And, and people look at us and they say, man, what is it about that person? They, they have a peace that surpasses all understanding every time I see them, especially when things go wrong in their life, especially when there's difficulties in their life especially when, when things are falling apart all around them. And, and here you are, you have this joy that's, that's contagious. And that is the life that, according to Scripture, that you and I are supposed to live, right? And yet, who's in the room right now? Some of you right now, your parents weren't the parents they should have been. You're still, you're still living through that. You're bitter, you're angry, you're upset at the way they, they might have raised you. Some of you still don't get along with your siblings. It, your brothers and your sisters, uh, they're supposed to have your back, and yet at times it seems like they're stabbing you in the back. And there's times you don't even want to be around them anymore. Christmas, Thanksgiving, any of the holidays, right? You don't want to be around any of your family anymore. So you, do, so you do this, you separate yourself from as far away as possible as you can from the rest of your family. So you can at least maintain a sense of peace in your household. For others of you, your life just isn't turning out the way you thought. Some of you thought you'd be buried by now, but you haven't met that, that man or that woman. It's just not going as you thought. Some of you do have a family and your marriage isn't all that good. And you can't figure out why that, that fairy tale dream just hasn't become true quite yet in your life. It's not a reality yet. You, you thought you, you'd, you'd have kids, you thought you'd have this, this dream job, buy a house. And the reality for a lot of you, it's just been a train wreck. Some of you didn't get into the schools you thought you'd get into. 
Some were hoping to be a little bit more financially independent at this point in your life. You were hoping to travel a bit more, maybe play a little bit more golf. But if you look who's here in this room, everybody's carrying some kind of burden. You know, and then we read things in scriptures, these promises that God has given us, right? We read things like, like, like this in Jeremiah 29, 11. It says, for I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope in the future. We read things from like Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. We read things from Romans 8.32, things that say, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? So, where is this abundant life that is filled with joy that we're all supposed to have? No sadness, just joy. I want us to think of, Think about something for a moment. There are good things in this life, right? Like we can all agree on that. Man, it's springtime, baseball, like spring training. I love it. That is a good thing to me. And maybe all you can't relate to, to baseball and spring training, but here, coffee is a good thing, right? I know nothing about coffee. So I've invited, yes, yeah, yep. Tell us about coffee. What's a good thing? <laughs> thing or two about coffee. Um, Coffee is a gift from God. <laughs> I can verify this because if you turn in your Bible, there's a whole book called Hebrews. <laughs> All right, for starters. Andy asked me the other day, hey, would you tell us about your favorite cup of coffee? I said, boy, will I? He said, you've only got 25 minutes to do it. I said, no problem. <laughs> I have loved coffee since I was little. I've just always liked it. Uh, I remember my grandfather, you want some coffee, boy, to put hair on your chest. I said, sure. I was like seven. <laughs> but then he's like, you have to drink it black and strong. You don't get to put all that junk in it and girly it up. You got to appreciate what you're drinking. And I look on the counter and it said Maxwell House. I was like, really? That's what I've since learned there are other coffees besides Maxwell House. But one of my favorite coffee experiences, believe it or not, happened right here in Huntsville, Alabama. And there's this little coffee shop. Some of you may have heard of it. I don't know if you ever know. It's, it's on Bridge Street. Yeah. Oh, uh, yeah. I've, I've heard yeah. of it. <laughs> yeah. It's called Cafe 153. And uh, they don't know that I'm talking about them today, but I am. And I walked in and I said to this barista, ma'am, I need some coffee. What kind of coffee you want? That's what she's, she didn't really talk like that, but she did for my purposes. And I said, I want a Cuban coffee. Can you make me a real Cuban coffee? Cafe Cubano. Because see, I grew up in Miami. And in Miami, they know the difference between here's a cup of Turkish coffee, here's a shot of espresso, here's a Cafe Cubano. There's a difference in all three of those. To the layperson, you wouldn't really know it. And this up-and-coming barista said, I can sure try, sir, for an extra tip. And, <laughs> and I don't know what it was about the day or about what was going on in my life at that time, but I believe that person made me four of those and then said, I'm cutting you off. I said, it's okay. <laughs> but 
that that day, and I and I and, and as soon as he asked that question, I, I went back. I've had coffee all over the world. I really have, uh, grown from places all over the world. But there was just something about that particular day. Maybe it was the the amazing atmosphere at Cafe One Five Three and the hard work and the employees. But the cups, each one was consistent and amazing. And and the thing about a, a good Cuban coffee is when they, they do it up, it's just a little cup. It's a little tiny cup of coffee. It's a little shot. But they, they work the, the sugar into the coffee grounds before you brew it. And there's a, there's a little complexity to that that just... And if, if too much sugar, and it's like drinking from a bottle of syrup, and that's not good, but not enough sugar, and it just doesn't work. But So my favorite cup of coffee was just that. And I could, I could talk more about it no, if you'd you're like. Good. Yeah, you're good. But yeah. I, Okay. Yeah. Your 25 yeah. minutes is up. Yep. Yep. After he drank that cup of coffee, he was actually awake for about 72 hours straight. Didn't even sleep. It was crazy. But, but there are good things, material speaking, in, in our life, in this life that we live. But the kind of life that I'm talking about, that God is speaking about when we read the scriptures, is, is that, that well that never runs dry. It's like on a hot day. Have you ever just been so hot, you've taken a, like a cold glass of water, and you can kind of just feel it reach down to the back of your throat and just feel your body. You can feel that cold water into your core. It's refreshing, right? The Bible says that, that God has promised us. He's made some, some commitments to us in, in, a, in a covenant that we're supposed to live like that's happening every single day of our lives. That, that's refreshing and that's rejoicing. And yet, I just don't always see it on our faces. So what's the problem? What's going on? Is it that we don't believe that God will fulfill his promises? I actually don't believe that. I believe that most people believe that God is capable of fulfilling his promises. I believe that you believe that because God sent his son down here to die on earth, to die on the cross, that you, you believe that he will actually deliver on those promises as well. I think the real, pro- the real problem is within us. The real problem is, is you. We're not afraid God won't deliver. We're afraid we won't deliver. We're afraid we'll do something stupid along the way and nullify that contract between us and God. We know he's faithful. We're afraid that one day we'll get to a point in our lives and we'll pray, we'll pray to God and God says, Seriously? You want me to do that when you violated the contract from day one? We don't say this out loud. But we live like this. We live with that thought quietly in the back of our minds each and every day. We know God. We trust God. We know he can do amazingly more. It's us we don't trust. We wander and we stray. We do things we're not supposed to do. So then we live with this constant fear that maybe we've done something that God's promises will no longer be applicable in our lives. Our confidence is in God. We're the ones we doubt. And, and that leads me to the book of Colossians. 
Paul is, is writing this letter to essentially a, a church plant. He's encouraging them. He's giving them some, some advice. He's reminding them about some things. And then he gives us in, this incredible reminder of what happened when Jesus died on the cross. It's in Colossians chapter 1, chapter 12, um, 12 through 14. I'm going to be reading from there. If you've got a pen or a highlighter, highlight it. You're going to want to remember this one. It says this, In giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. For he has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves, in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. We read this and Paul points out three very important things we cannot forget. He says when Jesus died upon the cross, three things happened to all of mankind. God gave man an inheritance. God rescued us from the dominion of darkness. He, he delivered us from sin. And God redeemed us. He forgave us. And, and we read that, and many of us have a hard time understanding this. How can we relate? Has anything you've ever sacrificed given so much power? blessing and an opportunity to someone else maybe you've missed out on a blessing uh, on blessing someone because you did not want to sacrifice so much jesus says i'm going to take on myself the consequences of your sin we read it in mark 15:33 at noon darkness came over the whole land until 3 in the afternoon and at 3 in the afternoon jesus cried out in a loud voice my god my god why have you forsaken me And it was actually foreshadowed when you read it in Isaiah 53, verses 9 through 10. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, though he had had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will be his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. The impossible became possible when this happened. He who was immortal became temporary. God died, right? He was cut off from the land of the living at his crucifixion. He was trampled into dust and darkness came over the land. Do you realize what this means? Let me help you understand this a little bit more. On the cross, Jesus died for your sins. He paid the penalty but do you realize he also suffered the cost of your broken promises so, we, so you don't have to? You're not only forgiven of your sins, past, present, and future. God says, I, know you, I knew you were going to violate the contract all along. That contract that we had, I knew you were going to violate it. I'm going to pay the penalty, though, for your violation so that I can still give you the promises that I promised you. There's nothing like this anywhere else in the world ever anywhere. You have to understand this. Think about this. How do we enter in an agreement in the United States uh, when we want to enter into a contract? We shake hands, right? But if we really want it to count and we really want to sue them later, we sign our names on the dotted line, right? It's, it's the way that we validate a contract. Even when we get married. Something as beautiful and great as a wedding, at some point throughout the marriage process, you have to sign a marriage license. Otherwise, 
Even if the pastor grants you that you're married and it still doesn't count, you still have to sign on the dotted line. This is a legal document, right? You are making the commitment to love each other, to provide for each other, and have joint bank accounts together, right? When you decide to buy a home, you have to sit down with your real estate agent and you're going to sign like 300 pieces of paper. (laughs) If you... If you don't sign and then you violate the contract, there are no ramifications, right? But if you do sign and violate a contract, you pay the penalty. You lose the right and privileges to the agreement you made. You lose the perks associated with the agreement. Not so with God. And this is awesome. Not so with God. Why? Because it's not dependent on you. Romans 5.1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through the Lord Jesus Christ. Romans 8.1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? We're an heir. You're a son. You're a daughter. We've been adopted. We have an inheritance just like Paul tells us in Colossians. And, and you say, what if I violate the contract? What if I'm unfaithful is what you might ask. And I would say you're asking the wrong questions. What you should say is when you violate the contract, when you're unfaithful, God has forgiven you. He already knows we're all going to break that contract. God is the one who's going to stay faithful. This is crazy. Our world doesn't work like this, right? But God does. When the truth becomes real to you, your whole life will change. When that truth really settles in on you, the cross is going to become so much more real. For a lot of you, it's just not real yet. When when what Jesus did for you becomes real, your trust level goes off the charts. And your pursuit of righteous living is unparalleled by any other pursuit in your life. When the cross becomes more real to you, then you'll see the, uh, the, our God, our Father, as the compassionate Father that He truly is. You'll see how, how He's provided for you. How He doesn't hold offenses against you. How He separates your sins as far as the east is from the west because He's intent on blessing you. When you see the heart of a father, something's going to happen in your life. Something will change. It has to. You will see the real effect that sin actually causes in this world. The cross becomes real to you, and you'll have this vivid imagery of God becoming man, suffering for you. The cross will become more real to you than the false promises that sin offers this world. And because it's so real to you, you'll reject sin. You'll realize that sin destroys life. It's costly. You realize the length God went went for you to give you victory and power over the things that can destroy your life. And when the cross becomes that real to you, you'll have a passion to pursue righteousness. You know, when I was in the the Coast Guard, one of the first things they teach you as, as a boat crewman is this, anchoring drills. The anchor has the potential to save your life. 
You see, when the storms, of, when the storms get rough and you're 50 yards off the rocks, that anchor is going to save your life. If it's, if it's down in the mud deep enough and, and holding the right way, it'll save your life. You see, the anchor, when it's working right, it doesn't move around. You go down deep enough, the ebbs and the flows of the currents in the water have no effect on that anchor. The anchor holds when it's in place right. For many of us, we're trying to live, we're trying to live this kind of life. We have, an anch- we have an anchor, but it really doesn't go down all that deep. The cross doesn't become any more real than anything we've ever faced in life because our anchor isn't d- down deep. For example, a lot of us, we hold grudges. We refuse to forgive those who have offended us. Why do we do that? It's a poison. For some, they they never get over it. And it ruins their entire life. They still may be saved, but not living that abundant life we talked about earlier. Here's why. Because what someone did to them is more real to them than what Christ did for them. The more you fall in love with Christ, the more you see what he did on the cross for you. The the more real that Christ and his sacrifice became for you and the less real in 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 the ways of this world will seem to you. You won't be as offended as much. We so easily and quickly forget how Jesus reconciled with us. When you realize how real Christ is and what he did for you, you'll be an unstoppable disciple. I'm telling you. You'll share the the word of God with anyone who who crosses your path. This happened actually to the disciples in in Acts. And we read about Acts chapter 1, or Acts Acts chapter 5, verse 41. The the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had not been counted worthy of suffering and disgrace for the name. Why would you rejoice anyone when you've been disgraced or ashamed? The answer is, is what the answer is what I what do I care? What do I care if anyone shames me or disgraces me because I'm sharing the word of God? Who cares? Right? Some of us I'm sorry, excuse me. We why would we rejoice with someone who's disgraced or shamed you? We we don't because we're serving God. We're serving our king. Some of us hate ourselves. We're riddled with with low self-esteem because we don't really trust in in the love and grace of God. We live with this constant dissatisfaction in our lives, the depression that that things just don't matter. We feel like we're, we're insignificant. When what Jesus says about you becomes more real than what people say about you, you'll live with a self-esteem that is off the charts. And not only that, you'll enjoy your life again. When you live your life trying to gain the approval of of other people, it's tiring, isn't it? It takes too much time. You have to be on everything constantly. What am I going to wear today? How am I going to brush my hair? I don't have to worry about that. (laughs) What shoes are you going to wear? How many cars do I have, right? It's tiring. When you realize just how much God values you, you'll be free to truly live how he wants you to live. Stop living for other people. Church, if you're going to live this abundant life, you must grasp this foundation of reconciliation. 
The cross has to become very real to you by understanding that you are indeed an heir to Jesus, that he's conquered the darkness on your behalf and has forgiven us and you of your sins. Then you can really begin to live. You will never be able to make such a sacrifice as God, God did in the giving of his son. We never. But when we accept Christ's sacrifice and allow ourselves to be embraced by God's unending love and unmerited grace, we can truly start to living this abundant life, looking for ways to bless others and fulfill God's will for our lives. In closing, I, I want you to listen to this very closely, very carefully. I want you all to live right in God's sight. It, it won't ever be a life that was lived perfect, but we should all strive to be people of character and integrity, to be people that are worthy of other people following in our footsteps. The devil wants you to live a life that is all but impossible for God to bless. He wants you to feel like you can do whatever you want. Right now, right this moment. He wants you to forget the power of forgiveness. He does not want you to live that abundant life that we've been talking about this morning. He does not want that for you. The scripture says, what a man sows, he shall reap. And what we live now will carry with us later through the rest of our lives. You can protect your future, though, if you live carefully now. And, and now at this point of the sermon, you might be like, Andy, that's a terrible thing to say as a pastor. You're supposed to tell me I can do anything and God will forgive me. And you are absolutely correct about that. And, and, and that may be your plan. And you may not actually say it like that, but it's in the back of your mind. I know. I know what you're thinking. You may be thinking, I'm going to do whatever I want right now. I'm going to live however I want today. I can always ask for forgiveness later. And if you're living this way, then you're missing the point. And you're missing out on that abundant life that God so dearly wants for us. You can't sow death and reap life. You can't sow a sin and reap a blessing. So you might be thinking, I'm going to have fun now. I'm going to get it out of my system and I'll ask, I'll ask for forgiveness later. God can forgive you and he will forgive you. I'll tell you this much, though. He'd much rather be blessing you than forgiving you. And there's a big difference between, between forgiveness and consequence. God will forgive you no matter what you do because Jesus' death on the cross. I can steal your car tomorrow, and I see all you guys reaching for your keys right now. I could steal your car today after church, right? And if I did, I believe that God would forgive me but I don't think that means if I stole your car tomorrow that I wouldn't face the consequences. And I believe God would even use me in like 10 years in a great prison ministry, but he, he would forgive me, right? There's a difference between forgiveness and consequence. And all too often in the church, we take forgiveness as a license to sin. I'm encouraging you. I'm telling you, don't live life this way. Paul said, should we sin more so grace may abound? Certainly not. If you look at the cross and you see God's son hanging there, struggling to breathe, the blood dripping from his hands, the blood 
dripping from his, his feet and knowing he did all that for you. And your response is, I'm just going to add a little bit more to his bill. I'm going to keep, keep pouring on him. I'll have fun now and ask for forgiveness later. I got to tell you, that is one of the most extremely heartbreaking things to think of. We should all look at Jesus and think, I want to live that, a life that is right in his sight. I want to live a life that is right in God's eyes because I can't believe he would die for me and give his life for me. I want to do everything I can to live a life of worship, to live a life, of, of that, uh, live a life as a living sacrifice. I want to honor God in everything I do, in everything I do in my life. And this morning, you have the opportunity to do just that. For some of you, the cross isn't very real yet. It's not real because you've never experienced the living waters of baptism. And so maybe this morning you're like, I've never been baptized, but man, I would love to see the cross like that. And I'm telling you, the cross doesn't become more realer than the, I mean, that's a word, but until you've been baptized, right? And, and if you've been baptized, you know that, right? And as we sing our song of invitation, I want to invite you to, to come forward. We, we would, I, I'll do it in my clothes. I'll baptize you, right? It's <laughs> or maybe this morning you're just looking for a church home. You want to, you want to be a, a, a part of a church that has just an incredible impact on its community where we serve others and we love Jesus and we don't judge others for all those burdens that we bear. Or maybe for you, it's just been a, a tough week and those burdens are, are straining on you and you just need a time of prayer. I'm here, John's here, our elders here. We would love to pray for you. And so I invite you to come forward as we sing our, our song of invitation this morning.